was admired around the world for her grace, dignity, and dedication. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Radio 3, live on the web, rthk.org.hk. Good morning. The time's 8.03 on Friday the 9th of September. Welcome to the final Money Talk before a long weekend. Peter Lewis here with the business and finance headlines. The European Central Bank has raised all of its key interest rates by a record 75 basis points and warned that it was likely to raise rates again later this year. The ECB raised its key deposit rates from zero to three quarters of a percent, the highest level since 2011. The central bank raised its inflation forecast sharply to 8.1% for this year and officials slashed the forecast for economic expansion in 2023 to 0.9%. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said the US central bank needed to act forthrightly to ensure high inflation did not become entrenched. In his last public remarks before the bank's policy meeting later this month, Mr Powell said we need to keep at it until the job is done fueling expectations of a third consecutive 75 basis points rise in US interest rates at the next policy meeting on September the 20th and 21st. Hong Kong has again been ranked as the world's freest economy by the Canadian think tank the Fraser Institute in its Economic Freedom of the World annual report. The 2022 rankings are based though on data from 2020, which the Institute says is the latest, most comprehensive available. India, the world's biggest rice shipper, has imposed an export levy of 20% on some types of rice, dealing a blow to global food inflation. The variety that now attracts the export tax accounts for about 60% of India's non-Basmati rice shipments. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris of Econosis Advisory and Dong Chen at Pictech Wealth Management with a view from India. It's Toby Lawson from Societe Generale India. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street overnight, US stocks overcame hawkish comments from Jerome Powell to close higher. The S&P 500 rose 0.7% to 4,006, having been down almost 1% at the low of the day. The Dow recovered from losses of 260 points to close 193 points higher at 31,775. The Nasdaq Composite Index advanced 0.6% to 11,862. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index climbed half a percent. The UK's FTSE 100 rose a third of a percent. Hong Kong stocks fell for a sixth day on Thursday and are down every day so far in September. The Hang Seng Index retreated 190 points or 1% to 18,855. The Hang Seng Tech Index fell 1%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite lost a third of a percent to 3,236. Sinoc and PetroChina led the losses after Brent crude oil settled at its lowest close since January. Shares of Tencent dropped 3.2% after 193 million shares, representing a 2% stake worth about 7.5 billion US dollars, appeared in CCAS. Naspers, which is Tencent's biggest shareholder with a 29% stake, 
later confirmed it had moved the shares into Hong Kong's clearing and settlement system in order to smooth future sales of the shares to fund the stock buyback. Naspers later confirmed it had sold one million of the shares on Thursday, reducing its stake to below 28%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 1.3% higher at $89.15 a barrel. Gold is down half a percent at $1,710 an ounce. US and European government bonds have sold off. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield rose six basis points to 3.32% after Jerome Powell said the Fed needed to act to ensure high inflation didn't become entrenched. And Eurozone bonds fell after the ECB raised interest rates by 75 basis points. Germany's two-year Bund yield jumped 28 basis points to 1.37%. That's its highest level since 2011. And the US dollar index is up about 0.1% against a basket of currencies following a string of hawkish signals from Fed officials. The euro this morning unchanged at parity against the dollar. The Japanese yen is also unchanged at 143.91. The pound hovered close to its weakest levels since 1985. Sterling lost a third of a percent to trade at $1.15 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 4 cents. Chinese yuan is at 6.96 in offshore markets. And Bitcoin this morning is trading at $19,300. In the Asia-Pacific regions, markets in South Korea and Taiwan are closed. In Australia, the SX200 up about a quarter of a percent. Uh, In Japan, the Nikkei 225 has risen three quarters of a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 50 points or so at the open this morning. Times 809, let's go and welcome our regular Friday commentator, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. And also with us, Dong Chen, Head of Asia Macroeconomic Research at Pictay Wealth Management. Morning to you, Dong. Good morning. Let's start with the central banks. First of all, the ECB raised all of its key interest rates by 75 basis points and warned that it's likely to do so again later this year. It's the biggest hike since the ECB was established in 1999 and the ECB raised its key deposit rate from zero to three quarters of a percent taking it to the highest level since 2011 also lifted its main refinancing rate which is the amount banks have to pay when they borrow money from the ECB to one and a quarter percent from half a percent central bank raised its inflation forecasts sharply to 8.1 percent for this year five and a half percent for next year and they also uh, uh and they also raised uh, their forecast for slash sorry their forecast for the economic expansion in 2023 to 0.9%. ECB President Christine Lagarde said in a press conference that reaching the bank's neutral rate would take front loading and further hikes in the next several meetings of a magnitude and pace that will be determined meeting by meeting. Um, Andrew, first of all, we haven't seen such a big move in rates in Europe uh, since the ECB was uh, established. What do you read into this? Is it a reflection now that the ECB is finally changing its reaction to this soaring inflation? What I read into this, uh, Peter, is is despair. I mean, <laughs> you, they just raised 75 basis points. That will bring the price of the basmati rice down, and that will reopen immediately the North One, the Nord One pipe, 
and bring, therefore, the gas prices down. Come on. You know, I've, I've done a lot of work on the individual structure of the CPIs, both in the United States and Europe. And Europe is particularly dependent on aspects of energy prices as opposed to the United States. And they are increasing interest rates on the basis that increases in interest rates are going to bring the prices of energy down. No, they won't. Mm. I really don't know where they are smoking. I mean, I would like... Lagarde so what to should come they up. do? What should they do? It really should be an issue of fiscal as opposed of monetary policy. You know, there, there's this obsession that the central banks are there to bring inflation down without even thinking at all what actually drives inflation. Things like, however much I dislike the idea of direct intervention in the markets, like capping certain of the, of the gas prices and also diverting as much as possible away from uh, Russia, although Russia is already doing that by mm. not selling any, okay, it will be m much more likely to bring down energy prices and therefore inflation rather than increasing interest rates. You know, I would like her to stand up in front of me and tell me I'm increasing interest rates and I will increase them again and again, and that is going to bring the price of energy down. No, but it don't. <laughs> if, if you were the Bundesbank, which I, I do actually regard as being a credible central bank, don't you think they must be in despair because they have always believed that the best way to keep inflation under control is not to let it get out of control in the first place, which but, is exactly uh, what the ECB has done. Yeah, but unfortunately, the Bundesbank has very little to do with the war in Ukraine. I mean, this, you know, it is simply, it says, if the car overspeeds, pull the handbrake, and you never stop for one moment to say, why is this overspeeding? There is only one button in their mind, and that is monetary policy to bring down inflation. No, mm. it doesn't. Not, not, not in every kind of inflation. Well, I'll stop now, Peter, because en enough is enough. <laughs> I think we'd better move on to Dong and let you have a lie down for a while. <laughs> Dong, can you give us an Asian perspective from the, over this? Oh, well, I, I actually agree with Andrew. You know, when, when people have you know, all the, their tool is a hammer, then every problem becomes a nail, right? So uh, I, I definitely agree with that. And what I'm looking at at this point is more on the growth front because we think that the European economy really got hammered by this uh, surging, infl uh, surging energy prices, as we see and plenty of anecdotes that small business actually are shutting down because mm. of the unbearable cost of energy and actually household they need to rationing it's a real crisis their, isn't yeah, it, their, for their energy consumption exactly so is this going to deepen the recession uh, well that that is a question people need to debate because I think that currently the market consensus is still looking at a shallow and fairly mild recession and I'm kind of skeptical about that mm. and uh, actually look at the ECB stock projection they're still talking about 0.9 percent GDP growth next year we don't think so we don't think the European uh, the Union as a whole probably can, can grow at all next year the, pro the problem is as Christine Lagarde has admitted um, interest rates are still a long way from the neutral rate, aren't they? So there's going to have to be further 75 basis points incre uh, increases. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I say, well, good luck to them. I mean, we'll, we'll sit here and, uh, and enjoy the show, hardly enjoy the show. I mean, this is, this is not really something to be, to be tri trivial about because I, I think it is objectionable that... Uh, uh, both Powell and Lagarde doesn't stand up in front of us and tell us how increases in interest rates will bring energy prices down. It's as simple as that. Of course, they can't and they won't do it because increases in interest rates will not. But they do believe it. I mean, look at what Mr. Powell said today. He said, we need to keep at it until the job is done, which basically means 
yeah. until it's got inflation down to two percent. But I'll carry on. I'll carry on hitting the piñata, as I said, till uh, <coughs> s- s- somehow some money comes out of that. Well, but it's, isn't it going to take years to get uh, inflation in the U.S. down to two percent to its no, it, target? No, it won't. You remember, Peter? The the reason why we had the acceleration was acceleration in prices of energy. Now, if mm. prices of energy come down not because of markets. Let's face it, it has nothing to do with excess demand or supply. It is the fact that the Ukraine war, okay, put a huge spanner in the work. It's as simple Mm. as that. So what happened in the 70s then? We had an energy crisis then as well. Uh, Oil prices shot up. Paul Volcker, who was the... um, who, who was the Fed chairman at the time, did aggressively jack up interest rates um, and did eventually get inflation under control. Or was it nothing to do with him? It just was going to happen anyway. There was two separate things. The, the economy at the time, okay, had, had exceptionally low, infla- had exceptionally low uh, unemployment rates. Okay, and also, let's not forget, the reason why prices went up is because OPEC switched off the, the, the pipes mm. because of the war in the Middle East. I mean, mm. here we go again, you know, Ukraine, except this time it was not Ukraine, it was Israel and, uh, and all its opponents. Dong, though, aren't we at peak inflation, maybe? Look at what's happened to the oil price. Uh, it's down now, what, 30% since its peak um, in June. If you look at the markets, if you look at Treasury break-evens, the two-year uh, US inflation gauge, 2.19% now. It reached almost 5% um, in March. Are, are markets right to think that maybe we've reached peak inflation? Well, in the U.S., we think that possibly the, at least the, the um, uh, headline inflation probably has already reached a peak. But the thing is that, you know, uh, when the, the price point is still at such, you know, 8% level, you know, it's very difficult for, you know, any, anyone to claim victory, especially mm-hmm. this is turning into a political uh, issue because you know, you know the midterm election actually is approaching and the people are complaining they're not complaining that they, they cannot get a job they're complaining about a the very high cost of living so there are a lot of things leading all the policymakers will continue at least to pose as hawkish not just for economic reasons we believe also for political reasons as well how much do you think uh, the pandemic and now also the war in ukraine has, has really sort of prompted structural shifts in the economy that means we're going to see these sort of price shocks uh, going forward a, a lot more frequently. Well, I think that pandemic probably be, for many part of the world probably is already over. You know, people are not really, you know, paying too much attention to it. But uh, you do have some longer term structural issues potentially can push, you know, inflation uh, higher going forward in the long term. For example, you have deglobalization, right? You have countries and companies trying to restructure their supply chain by mm-hmm. nature. It is inflationary. And mm-hmm. also you have this long term job of trying to deal with climate change, which is right now with us looking at this summer, what happened to the uh, the weather in many parts in the world, right? And this transition will be inflationary. And lastly, you have this return of big governments. You have, mm. you know, well, governments at, trying to intervene. Look what the UK government's now exactly. doing. Massive intervention in the energy markets at taxpayers' expense. Exactly, exactly. So we, we do think that the inflation probably going forward will be structurally higher.
Now, the, 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 the notion that the pandemic uh, is gone, it is true to the extent, as Trump lovely put it, wrapped it up very nicely, if you carry on measuring it, it will always be there. You stop measuring it, and it disappears. Now, <laughs> the fact that the majority of the major economies are now don't have any controls, and therefore it stopped being a headline policy, it isn't. Peter, the numbers of actual uh, uh, infections in all the major economies are staggering. They are increasing at an mm. incredibly, sorry, in absolute rates, not necessarily high in terms of, uh, sorry, it's going to be very mathematical here. It's not the first, but it is the second differential of the increase. But now, if you put a graph of the cumulative number of cases, okay, it was very flat until the middle of this year, and then it has absolutely exploded. Mm. And the best way of looking at that is Hong Kong. Okay, a couple of months back, we were doing sort of, you know, a couple of thousand, 1,500, 1,900. Now we're doing 10,000. It hasn't gone away. Now, the fact that it doesn't kill people does not mean that it doesn't make people ill. Mm. And, for example, the national health uh, institutions in, in UK are groaning. Okay, they're absolutely terrified of what's happening because although people don't die, they still go to hospitals. So mm. it hasn't finished at all. And in a way, you see the yin and yang of that in China, okay, that they're, they're actually, they just announced more further measures of clamping down. Mm. Mm. In Chengdu and also nationally as well, nationally, haven't they? Absolutely. In terms of what you have to have 48 hour uh, PCR test within 48 hours now if you want to travel by uh, bus, plane, train. It, it, you know, the fat lady hasn't sung yet, and mm. uh, it hasn't sung yet for a long, long time, and it's not going to sing, and not because I'm saying it, it's because I simply look at the numbers, and the numbers are continuously increasing. It is, it is very virulent, but, but thankfully it doesn't kill. Well, mm. when it, then next time, the next variation is going to be virulent, and it will kill. Dong, tell me about what all this means for Asia. The Fed looks like it's going to raise uh, interest rates again by 75 basis points this month. Um, what's the, Hong Kong's obviously going to have to follow. Um, it's also transmitting around the region through a very strong dollar, which is really decimating some Asian currencies. What, what's the impact going to be on Asia of all of this? Well, generally, when you have very strong U.S. dollar, it's not good news for emerging mm. market, Asia included. And at this point, we think that you know, for you know, Asia, you look at the 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 recent PMIs. Actually, see a pretty fractured or mixed picture here. You see, you know, uh, economies like South Korea and Taiwan actually seeing their activities dropping pretty sharply. Partly mm. related to what's going on with the central banks. Those and, trade numbers, weren't they? They're and also, bad. Yeah, and also partly because of the the demand for electronics simply mm. just uh, was not as strong as before. But you have look at part of Asia, another part with Southeast Asia, some countries actually are doing pretty well. Look at Indonesia, which is a commodity exporter, mm -hmm. which benefit from this you know, very strong uh, cycle. But it's also suffering, isn't it, Indonesia, from the fuel price hikes? They've been up, what, jacked up 30%. So they've still got some problems as well. Of, of course, you know, but uh, relatively speaking, you're looking at the industrial activities actually is having a much better time than other uh, other places. I'm, I'm delighted that we don't experience this because there is no such thing as Asia. There is Asian economies. And if you look at Hong Kong, you say, why it is ailing it? The answer is very simple. Man-made policies on COVID. Full stop. That's mm. it. Take them mm. away and Hong Kong is so, off the Self-inflicted here. Self-inflicted completely. There's nothing to do with the cycle. Okay, and that's, that's the other upsetting part. But anyway, I mean, this is so familiar in Hong Kong and in China that it's, it's not worth going on about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The economy mm. is slowing down because there is a man-made uh, handbrake and a footbrake on, on activities.
Mm, but no, trade, so, trade had been the sort of the rare bright spot, hasn't it, for the Chinese economy? But that uh, recent Chinese trade data. Uh, suggests that maybe that pillar is being removed as well. And then we have the Taiwanese trade data, which suggests the global economy itself is in is in trouble. It's well, not very good indicators, was it, from this well, trade data there are this two week? Well, there are two aspects here. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit eccentric here. Uh, net exports contribute very little to China's GDP growth. Historically, okay, in every 100 basis points of increases in GDP, net Export, in other words, the difference between the growth of exports and inputs contributed about 10 basis points. So China grows because of domestic consumption and investment, full stop. It's as simple as that. So, yes, trade, of course, helps. It would be absurd to tell you that it doesn't matter. Sectorally and regionally can be very important. But taking it globally, sorry, taking it uh, globally for the point of view of China, in other words, taking China altogether, I'm sorry, that was the wrong word to use. Okay, exports are important, but they are not as important as people think they are. Dong, final word to you. When you look at this trade data um, from China, and particularly from Taiwan, does it suggest that the global economy is also stalling? Uh, I, I think that the global economy probably is heading towards a recession. Um, for those major economies, we're not, not exactly sure about the timing, but we think that by mid-next year, probably U.S. will be in a recession, and possibly much earlier for Europe. So, and for, for, for China, I definitely agree. You know, you look at the domestic economy, you have a lot of restrictions out there, mm -hmm. and you have a property sector crisis going on at this point. So, uh, I would say that uh, the world economy still has some difficult time ahead. Okay, well, thank you very much and enjoy the long weekend for the Mid Autumn Festival, which is uh, coming up in a moment. You heard there uh, Dong Chen, head of Asia Macroeconomic Research at Pictay Wealth Management, and also Andrew Ferris, who's the CEO of Econosis Advisory. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Times 8.24 on the phone from Mumbai in India is Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. Morning, Toby. Yeah, good morning, Peter. Um, I want to ask you, first of all, about this news, um, about this new export levy of 20% on some types of um, rice that, uh, that the Indian Finance Ministry announced um, yesterday. What's behind that, first of all? So it's it's quite a big announcement. Uh, it's about it's equivalent to about sixty percent of of India's rice exports, uh, not including basmati rice, which is obviously one of the larger varieties that's exported. But um, for those who don't know, India's the largest rice uh, shipper in the world and represents about forty percent of global trade in rice. So twenty percent uh, levy has been applied to those varieties, uh, and this is a as a result of. Uh, uh, less uh, planting done in the uh, key rice growing areas of India uh, in order to you know, uh, maintain supplies on the domestic front. So uh, export levy of 20%, up to 60% of the non-Basmati rice varieties being impacted in India. And this is estimated to push the cost of white rice up from $350 a tonne to more than $400. This presumably is going to put pressure on those countries that are really struggling with soaring um, food inflation. Yeah, it adds already to the global inflation story uh, and particularly difficult for those countries that uh, need uh, staples, uh, supply of uh, uh, food staples. So, yeah, not insignificant impact and something that um, follows on from already uh, levies uh, applied to wheat and sugar um, previously by the Indian government. So 
um, you know, with such a large population, uh, domestic supply is critical for India. So, of course, uh, as planting um, is reduced for various reasons, and in fact, the monsoon's been quite a good monsoon, but in the areas for rice growing in um, Uttar Pradesh, Jharkhand and Bihar, about 5 to 6% down in terms of planting. So that's the reason why this uh, levy's been put in place. So to try and combat this inflation, we've heard the ECB earlier today, we are talking about that this morning, raised its key interest rates by 75 basis points. Um, as we were discussing a little bit earlier, it doesn't really, it, it's hard to understand how this helps reduce uh, the, pro- the cost of the price of rice and gas and, and, and fuel in general. Well, yeah, I think it's the lag effect of uh, all of this attack all coming later than expected and now much more aggressive. I think it's a reflection of when you see inflation at 9% plus in uh, in August in uh, the European Union, you see uh, possibly a drive to protect the euro to some extent, uh, which has been depreciating heavily against the dollar. Uh, so try to close that gap, if you will, in the interest rate differentials that have, have come through. So a number of factors have driven the ECB to move more aggressively, and their, their language is very firm that there's more to come. I think Lagarde said uh, at least two to between two and five uh, hikes to come. So we're, we're going to see rate hikes into early 23 at a minimum. Um, now, uh, how quickly that has an impact on actual prices of, uh, of commodities, uh, things that people buy in the, at the shops, um, that remains to be seen because uh, one fear we have already is uh, inflation's already entrenched and it's very difficult to unwind. And we've, you've got a big energy crisis going on in Europe at the moment. Russia's closed its main uh, gas pipeline. This is surely a, a big crisis, isn't it, for Europe at the moment? Yeah, I was thinking of those who watch the Game of Thrones and that, uh, you know, that line, uh, winter is coming, um, with mm. a sort of uh, 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 dread. And uh, this appears to be the case for Europe, um, particularly in, in light of what the, um, uh, Russia is intending potentially in relation to supplies of gas, coal, oil, whatever. Uh, so, of course, uh, it, um, it adds to the fear. It adds to the likelihood that we're going to see uh, difficult conditions uh, in GDP terms across the whole of Europe already seeing that impacted particularly in Britain. Uh, and so, yeah, tough times ahead, I, I suspect, and, uh, you know, higher interest rates isn't going to help. Can Europe um, wean itself off of Russian gas and, and dispense with Russian gas totally? It may have I'm to, I'm not sure. It, speci- well, I think it's, yeah, that's the point. I think they're prepared possibly to handle this winter. Now, if you get a harsh winter, maybe they're not ready for a particularly difficult winter. But I gather from what you read uh, that the... Uh, most of the European countries have, have managed to get themselves to some level of supply uh, in order to manage a uh, potential loss of Russian uh, supply over the winter. But, uh, yeah, going forward, they're going to need a more long-term uh, solution, and I don't think that's in place as yet. So one can hope only that, uh, you know, that the political winds blow more favourably in 2023, but uh, this stage it doesn't look so. And, of course, the impact this is all having, what the ECB is doing, what the Fed is talking about, it's sending um, the US dollar soaring out here against a whole range of um, Asian currencies, which presumably is going to cause problems for a lot of Asian economies. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a story that I think is going to emerge. Dollar index, uh, you know, at, uh, at almost all-time highs, uh, at least not seen for some, some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, impacts, obviously, we've seen it uh, in, the, in the major currencies, uh, yen, uh, euro and sterling, but now, of course, um, uh, in uh, emerging market currencies and that uh, imported inflation impact has a, has a very deleterious effect on the economic pr- uh, prospects. Having said that, I think, uh, at least if I speak for India, India is managing quite well 
uh, the RBI have been able to throttle the, the depreciation in the INR. And with the lower oil price, uh, particularly for India, that probably takes a little bit of heat out. Uh, and so the INR has been sort of hovering just under that 80 level against the dollar uh, with a bit of support from the RBI. So in India's case, it's managing quite well, probably one of the better performers in the emerging market currencies currently. Okay, Toby, have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Asia-Pacific markets, the ASX 200 down in Australia up 0.2%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is up a third of a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to rise 50 points or so at the open in an hour's time. There'll be no money talk on Monday as it's a public holiday for the mid-autumn festival. But I'll still be here from 6 to 10 in the morning on Radio 3 on Monday for a special holiday programme of music, guests and chat. So please join me for that if you can. In the meantime, have a great holiday weekend. Stay tuned to Back Chats coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Andrew Work. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine and dry, very hot during the day. Maximum temperature of around 33 degrees. Sunny periods and a few showers on the mid-autumn festival and the following couple of days. There is a very hot weather warning in force, along with a red fire danger warning. It's 29 degrees right now, 46% relative humidity. 8.31, here's Andrew Schwoski with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Queen Elizabeth, Britain's longest reigning monarch and the nation's figurehead for seven decades, has died aged 96. In a statement, Buckingham Palace said she died peacefully at Balmoral, her home in Scotland. Britain's Prime Minister Liz Truss, who was only appointed by the Queen two days before, paid tribute to her. We are all devastated by the news that we have just heard from Balmoral. The death of Her Majesty the Queen is a huge shock to the nation and to the world. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock on which modern Britain was built. Our country has grown and flourished under her reign. Queen Elizabeth's eldest son, Charles, who is 73, has now become King Charles III of the United Kingdom and the head of state of 14 other realms, including Australia, Canada and New Zealand. Locally, a pediatric specialist has repeated calls for parents to get their children fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Mike Kwan, a pediatrics professor at the University of Hong Kong, described the government as having kind and good intentions in extending the vaccine pass to children as young as five. Fully vaccinated people must use the pass to enter certain venues, such as restaurants, gyms and shopping malls. Professor Kwan told RTHK that it was important to push for young children to be fully vaccinated as the fifth COVID wave had seen a large number of children hospitalized with COVID and related illnesses. At the present moment, the fifth wave of the Omicron is upsurging, and in hospital, we are seeing more and more cases of the COVID-19, especially in children. I mentioned before in multiple media channels that we are seeing many cases of, for example, the coups and also the febrile commotions and also some unfortunate cases of the encephalitis in children. So I really consider that children need to get their COVID vaccine doses quickly, especially to have the full doses of the vaccine to have the 
The government has welcomed Hong Kong again, being ranked as the world's freest economy by the Canadian think tank, the Fraser Institute, in its Economic Freedom of the World Annual Report. Hong Kong has gained its top rank since its inception. The Institute ranks economies in five main areas, size of government, legal system and property rights, sound money, freedom to trade internationally, and regulations. The SAR again topped the freedom to trade and regulation categories. Singapore was ranked second and the U.S. seventh. Of the 165 jurisdictions measured, Venezuela came last. The U.S. Justice Department has said it will appeal against a federal judge's decision to appoint an independent official to review records seized by the FBI from former President Donald Trump's Florida home. Judge Eileen Cannon, a Trump appointee, had ruled on Monday that an independent legal official known as a special master be appointed to decide whether the seized documents were covered by attorney-client or executive privilege. The Justice Department said that halting their probe would result in irreparable harm. Commenting through his media platform,